Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Herbalism segment of the Elder Tree Podcast. I am your host, Tanil Christensen from Earth Mama, where I teach people how to thrive and get skilled for sustainability. As an educator, kitchen witch and plant lover, I welcome you to tune in as I interview permaculturalists from around the world. We will learn holistic ways of integrating plants into our homes, gardens and communities for healing. Together, we will explore the art and science of this regenerative design system and harvest the collective wisdom. Permaculture offers a pathway to empower people to develop their lifestyles and landscapes. So let's discover how to grow and know plants with a purpose. We say in the eco village movement, anybody can build anything. You can you can get a builder to build a village. You know, a few cabins here do this and that. But it's actually it's the it's the social infrastructure that's really difficult to build, and that's the thing that we need. Our superpower is that we work together. That was Andrew McLean from Eco Villages Australia and co-founder and resident of the Mullaney Eco Village. If you haven't yet heard of the term eight forms of wealth or eight forms of capital or of sacred economics or the gift economy, then this episode is a real treat. If you're interested in eco-village design and the true essence of people care and social permaculture, then tune in for this episode as we explore these and many other topics. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you for joining me today. We recently met at the Elder Tree fundraiser. It was a beautiful gathering and we were exploring the Gen Network that is the global Eco Village Network design cards uh, as pathways to regenerate community living. So thanks for supporting us at the event and for doing this interview and sharing your wisdom today. Yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you. Then I came along to an eco-village forum, which I found particularly interesting, answered a lot of questions for me. I really loved um, the model and a lot of um, a lot of the solutions, I guess, that I have considered as concerns in terms of going into eco-villages. And it sounds like you've really done, you know, a well-thought-out and embodied experience of starting an eco-village. So I'd love to explore this conversation with you uh, in this interview because I think you have such valuable information to share with a lot of our listeners. But do you mind first if we delve into your, um, your world of permaculture and plants? Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Great. So what, why is permaculture an important aspect of your life? Yeah, it's a, it, I mean, I'm a late comer to permaculture, really. But, um, you know, I was talking to David Holmgren, the, the co-originator of, of um, permaculture some time ago, a couple of years ago, and, and he sort of actually, actually sort of said, we've actually deceived people with permaculture. <laughs> it's just tribal knowledge, First Nations knowledge with a fancy name, with a fancy sort of Western package and, and, and I guess that's what I love, love about it. it. It just, it goes back to our, to our roots about what's important. Um, I love that it does not just um, talk about gardening and, and, and it is about building design and, and even, I guess, um, you know, your own in, in, internal health and all this sort of stuff. It's all encompassing. It's a, it's a way of life, not, not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. It describes a, a life that is 
kinder on ourselves and kinder on the planet. Um, so yeah, it's it's pretty. I, I really love it, you know. And and um, David Holmgren's book, you know, Retro Suburbia, is excellent. It's like his whole his whole life um, sort of learnings in one book. If you want to go and learn how to build a cool room, um, a cool cold storage, you know, without electricity and um, you know, in the apocalypse, then you go go for it. Yeah, it's a good book for that. For sure, the most innovative design all pulled together in one book and yeah I love what you just shared with the First Nations conversation there it's um yeah I had a a of speaking with the first you know a beautiful Indigenous sister and and she we were talking about permaculture and I'm like you know it's just it's just packaged for us because we've come from like we've been programmed a different way and so yeah this it's it's a way it's been programmed in a way that is just the way first nations people actually lived and it you know from an anthropological aspect those you know david and bill did a lot of travel especially bill and mm. you know a lot of the that wisdom it's universal it's something that is um you know permaculture was practiced by everybody by all first nations people <laughs> because they That's produce right, no waste you know like our western mindset of or the colonizers that came to australia and then looked at the land and were and and decided that these people were savages and they were hunter and gatherers because they didn't have fields of agriculture yet they did but it was so yeah, but dark, emu, dark emu is a really brilliant book about mm. that it just shows that actually they we they were ag- agriculturalists and 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 absolutely permaculturalists mm. absolutely i i think permaculture is actually australia's greatest export yeah uh, maybe with the exception of in excess and acdc but um <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it, and, and a lot of people don't still don't know about it um a friend of mine actually you know, when i was in the, in the early 90s like exposed me to it and that's and i'm glad i at least heard about it um didn't explore too much until later but um yeah i mean a lot of the mainstream really still don't know about it which is you know um i guess it's our job isn't it to get it out there further yeah yeah but I am constantly surprised at, you know, the when we run workshops and courses um, at the, you know, the people who are showing up to learn and, you know, we've got architects coming, we've got nurses, we have police officers, we have people in the army, um, teachers, like it's so broad and, you know, they are actually hearing about it on Gardening Australia or, you know, there are some really incredible films that have come out that really highlight uh, regenerative permaculture or regenerative agriculture and how that you know re- regenerative agriculture practices are just one technique within the land and nature steward pedal of the whole permaculture framework but it's yeah, you know, it's the way people want to eat and they want organic food that's affordable and they're concerned about food security so that's sort of the entry point where people are looking at what you know, what can I do? Can I can I grow food in my own garden in an urban environment? And I do feel like it's come a long way because when I did my PDC and then started my business, my first business, which was homegrown edible gardens back in Townsville, mm. I spent so much time just explaining to people what permaculture was before I could even get to, you know, just educating them about what it was and why it was needed. And now people call us, like we actually changed our business name to Edible Landscapes and Design instead mm-hmm. of Permaculture. 
And people would then, it flipped. People were like, oh, so you do permaculture. <laughs> it's like, okay, there has been a shift and people are looking for it. Um, but it is, yeah, enough about me. <laughs> did you end yeah, up studying? No, it's great. Did you, study well, or you be, did you study PDC or have you been like self-taught reading a lot of books and things like that? Yeah, pretty much self-taught. When we started the Eco Village in Maloney, you know, like um, really just gathering a group of people, including some, you know, some big names of the, in the permaculture scene, like, um, you know, Robin Clayfield and, and so forth. So, you know, getting them on site and talking and, and yeah, you know, like I, I, I think that was a real key that we didn't expect actually that, that in fact these sort of alternate projects are really best done in, you know, in a strong alternate sort of space, um, you know, in location-wise. So we've got lots of alternate builders, lots of alternate, lots of permaculturalists around, and that made a big difference. So, yeah, I haven't actually done a PDC, which I probably should, you know, one day, but it's sort of, you know, I have read a lot about it and and, and live it, I suppose, you know. Like, it was really interesting when you built, when we, we were rebuilding our um, little building and, you know, we wanted big glass windows to the east and to the north and we put them in, and you realise that almost every single house in the whole town is not built for the sun yeah not built in orientation <laughs> for fun, you know, not 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 you know gardens buildings everything roadways just mm. you know, imagine if if the if town planners and so forth actually were able to to do that a bit better i mean it's it's just and people people who rent are, are in even worse position because these houses are cold and hot and Take so much energy to, to heat and cool, and, and a lot of their <clears throat> a lot of their um, uh, incomes burn up in this, you know, in heating and cooling the houses and this sort of thing. It's just it's a bit insane. It is totally insane. <laughs> and once you actually have your perfect goggles on and you see how simple it is to read a landscape, look at the sectors, understand the energies, and then design for it, you actually see how the rest of society is so poorly designed. <laughs> it's like, Did you say? say permagoggles yes permagoggles i love it i haven't heard that one that's great i think that's what happens after a you know 10 to 14 day intensive permaculture design (laughs) courses that you then have permagoggles and you know you said you haven't formally studied but people who come along and learn they're just and i was that person too it's like this just makes so much sense yeah I'm, i'm i just feel like i'm remembering and so it's I think it's in ourselves and I think a lot of us walk around confused going, why is the world the way it is? Why is this not making sense? And we're living in turning up to workplaces or living in homes that are just not harmonious with the environment or with, you know, the natural energies and it's um, it's messing with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like I said, not just our back pockets but just our, our very soul, you know. Like it's, mm-hmm. we live in these soulless places that – that just have no sense. They make make no sense except for the motor car. They make sense for the motor car, and that's mm. it. Yeah, the shortest possible route and the most cost effective mm. that provides yeah. the highest profit. Yeah, yes. we have a. Have you have you heard of um, um, a timeless way of building or a pattern language? Have you heard of those books? Oh, definitely pattern language. Not the yeah, same, yeah. same same book, same guy. That's you know, it's a, it's a trilogy actually, and. 
yeah, we sort of came up with this um, pattern language in our eco village that we you know we have a me- meandering path. So anytime we put a pathway in, mm-hmm. it needs to be meandering. You know, it yeah. can't be the most direct and, and efficient way to, to get to point A, point A, point B. And it's really good. It's really cool how it, it slows people down. It's prettier. Yeah. Um, and when and when you do see a straight path, you go, oh, that doesn't look right. You know, <laughs> it's, it's or something. Yeah, it gives you time to notice the the plants and the animals mm. and give you a few uh, an opportunity to take a few deeper breaths before you get to the next spot onto the next activity. Even activists and so forth say, you know, like we need more money, we need more energy, and you know, I think it's, it's energy and money that's actually put us in this problem, and we we know that the that the that the things that got us into the problem are probably not going to be the things that get us out. Um, so so maybe money and activity isn't the thing that we need. Maybe more rest, maybe more more you know mindfulness and all that sort of thing is is actually what we need as a society to move forward. Yeah, and I I loved like the eight forms of capital or the eight forms of wealth is something that I've um, learnt in the permaculture world, and it's something that is a, a lesson that I teach in my online course because I just think it's so valuable and it's such a great way to to see the bigger picture and the holistic. Um, aspects of all of our lives and what wealth and capital actually means and you mentioned this in the forum the other day so um are you happy to share on that and your because you 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 termed the word permaculture economics uh economic permaculture yes that's right um um yeah yeah we love the eight forms of capital um and you know, I, probably, I can only ever remember seven when I haven't got it written in front of me. <laughs> but, um, it's social, material, living, experiential, cultural, intellectual, spiritual, and financial. And and it's so brilliant because, like, like I sort of said, like when when you grow up and leave school and start, you know, get you know, go to uni or go to TAFE or whatever and get a job, and you know, we get a good job, we we we, we nail the financial, we we try to. And we and we you know, we we get we we buy lots of rubbish with it and and mum and dad are really proud of us because we've made it we're successful in our in our world you know and and um, that's there's a really impoverished sort of impoverished view of the world like uh, like if like the tree that I'm seeing right now you know it, it's worth more in that in that in those in those through those goggles as six park benches so why wouldn't we cut them down? cut the tree down, make six park benches up and then actually sell it because it's got financial and material capital. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, you know, you, all you got to do is put one level of capital, another 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 layer of capital in there, um, natural capital. Well, okay, hang on. Maybe it is worth more as a tree than as six car park benches, you know, and it sort of makes sense. But in our, in our world, cut the thing down. You know, it's crazy. It, it really is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've made, you know, in our community, we we um, we have those eight forms of capital in our mind when we make decisions, you know, do we paint the house? You know, that's going to rob us of, of experiential capital. It's going to cost us some financial capital and this sort of thing and how, you know, and, and, and it just helps us make those make those decisions. Um, it gives us a framework to make those decisions and it's probably a good thing, I think, to have those eight forms of capital on, the, on our wall at all times just to sort of, you know, keep keep referring back to and say, what what are we here for? You know, what what does cultural capital look like? What you know, what does beauty look like? What is mm-hmm. you know, you know, like yeah, meandering path is a is not efficient, but it's beautiful, you know. So why why not increase our cultural capital? All this sort of stuff. I, I think it's really, really brilliant. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And it it really surprised I mean, it surprises me, but it's also I've been in the place of 
of ignorance as well. But when I, you know, when I discovered ecosystem services and I teach that to people and seeing the aha and the, oh, why didn't I learn this at school kind of thing? You know, Mm. I was there, you know, this is why I'm so passionate about teaching and about exploring more permaculture because, you know, a tree and ecosystem services, it's like, okay, well, it could be a park bench. Do we need more? And if it is, if we need a park bench, then okay, well, if we're growing this on our site, it's probably the most sustainable way to make one. But let's look at the, what you know, the bees, the birds that, you know, the habitat that it provides the carbon that it sequestrates, the water table that it draws up through its roots, the shade that it provides us, the leaves that it gives us for mulch, the microorganisms that are in, under and surrounding it, the the oxygen that it provides to us, the erosion that it prevents. Like you can just, you know, all of the cultural and there's just so much more depth to just the tree and the cost of sales for park benches. Absolutely. In our community, we talk a lot about um, um, capacity, you know, like some some people have a capacity of a red cedar, a financial capacity of a red cedar, an emotional capacity of a blade of grass, and some people have a, um, you know, a... Um, a emotional capacity of a of a red cedar and a financial capacity of a blade of grass and and you know it's 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 not the 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 red cedar never looks down at the blade of grass and says look you know you guys are doing nothing you know like it's it's all up to me i'm 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 the heavy lifter here you know and in our world we do that we get that we get this sort of strong messages from our culture that if you if you're not making big dollars and stuff you're actually useless and you know like when first nations people created a, a, a beautiful society that had uh, everybody had a job. Everybody had something to do. Everybody had worth. Everybody had meaning. Everybody had a house. Everybody had a, you know, like this, we've created these, this society of, of, of severe, um, well, mismanagement, I think, you know, obviously ecological mismanagement and, and, and social mismanagement. I mean, we, we say in the eco-village movement, anybody can build anything. You can, you can get a builder to build a village, you know, a few cabins here, do this and that. But it's actually, it's the, it's the social infrastructure that's really difficult mm-hmm. to build and that's the thing that we need. You know, if we don't get the social stuff right, and this is a bit of a saying that we have at the eco-village as well, that if we don't get the, the uh, social stuff right, we, we humans might, might not last the next couple of hundred years, you know, like, you know, we, we are, we, our superpower is that we work together. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we, you know, if we accept the out of Africa type thing that, that the human humanity came out or Homo sapiens came out of Africa, then, then our, then our prey and our food was, it was bigger than stronger than us. You know, when we, we, this was our superpower to work together so that we can, we can do incredible things. Um, and, I, I guess I think capitalism is, is really an affront for that. You know, we're suddenly, because if I get the job, you don't, you know, and, and it's in the competition and the so forth. And that's really, you know, and, and I love the whole thing about the, 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 the fungi world and mycelium and stuff that we're, we're realising that, in fact, it's not like capitalism. The forest isn't not like capitalism that we're the strongest ones win. It's actually we're working together that through the mycelial, mycelium networks and the mycorrhizal networks that trees can actually get the message for one to you know that this other tree needs more phosphorus and actually pass phosphorus through the roots and the mycorrhizal system and this is insane this is incredible mm-hmm. um we live in exciting times because you know i think we're starting to break down our 
our our ways that we've seen things in the last few hundred years, particularly economically. You know, we've only we only had the first billionaire 120 years ago. You know, we, we we've 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 sort of we believe it's a faith faith statement or faith belief that we need billionaires in the system for our system to work. It's not true. For for thousands of years, for millennia, we've we've not had billionaires in the system, and it worked fine. Thank you very much. You know. <laughs> Maybe they were the kings and queens of the monarchies and the, the pharaohs. Well, yeah, that's true. But I mean, they were they again. If even that that's system, controlled. there was only the that was one that was control. Yes, and that was only one sort of person. Whereas now we got, you know, like I, you know, the Australia Institute says, you know, billionaires in a system is a sign that the system's not doing well. We think it's mm. a good thing, but you know, billionaires getting created every every day or something. Now I think I can't remember the exact. Um, Zach stats, but you know it's it's becoming you know, and these billionaires they they far too much power. Like they can do what you know what they do with their money really has has big ramifications for where for what for where humanity is going, and and um, we've got to stop and think about that. And I think we need to, you know it'd be better to have a conversation with all of us to say where do we want that money to go, you know, but we can't have any control because they're billionaires. Anyway, I can talk a bit about economic permaculture as well, if you're mm-hmm. interested, like you did bring it up before. So, you know, when we started our um, our project, we, we most eco-villages start very firmly in two, two sectors. We, we, we want to do social regeneration. We want to get to know people. We want to live, live with them. And we also want to do you know, eco- ecological regen- regeneration. So we we want to re- restore the the ecology around us, and that's the you know some only do one of them, some forget the others. But most eco villages and, and eco communities start that with those two in mind. But we realise very quickly that without having thinking about the economic sphere as well, economic regeneration, then that really there was there was a big hole in the project. You know, so. As you said, you know, in permaculture, there's no waste. It's there's circular systems, and and that's what we do. You know, we we have this circular economic system. So we loan our money. People who can loan their money to the eco village, and then that 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 money then is paid back um, as people rent, and we all rent whether we've loaned money or not, and we sort of pay back ourselves in this sort of circular economy. And you know, I I, I was a householder in Brisbane. I sold my house that I'd, I'd paid it off only just, and. Um, and the person that bought it is now that has got that piece of land under mortgage. It's 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 it was free. This land was free for an instant, and now it's not again. You know, and this is that we love these. You know, like one of the things I love about permaculture, I think it's we we think in terms of maturity. Um, not I haven't heard too many too many permaculture teachers teach this, but I like this idea that you know that that permaculture is about maturity. So you know we are completely in love with the immature. I'm quite convinced of this. <laughs> immature, Im- immature um, ecological systems. You know, there's no more immature ecological ecological system than a than a front front yard, a, a front lawn. You know, it's trying to get to forest, but we keep cutting it down, and it doesn't doesn't get there. We continue, you know, we're in a state of immaturity. And Bill Mollison says, you know, if you've got a, a detached house with a um, a front lawn, you know, and two cars, you're using more energy than an African um, village of two thousand people. You know, this is this is something we really have to. To, to come to grips with another another person in the eco eco village movement said you know um, it's it turns out he did this big study and it says it turns out if you're an ecological slob so you don't care about the ecology um, and you live in a um, apart, apartment block in America this is in the in the cold weather 
cold sex cold parts of, of America. Um, turns out you're you're doing better than an environmental champion living in a detached house. A detached house is just like one house on one block, um, because you know when you're in the snow, the best place to live is if someone else on the other side of the wall is heating it because they're living there. You know these these sort of apartment units. So so you know we 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 the way how we've set up our structures in Australia, we love our quarter acre block and we little well, big house on it now um it's really really damaging to our ecology so so yeah we have these yeah and we have we love we're in love with these with these immature ecological systems we're in love with these immature banking systems like i like i mentioned um we're in love with our immature social social um systems as well we'd rather ring up council and say hey you know the next door neighbor's starting his mower at six o'clock in the morning on sunday and you know, rather than actually just going up and talking to them, you know, and 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 um, we've lost that art too. So I, I, I it, you know, this is this is like looking at looking at the lens, our, our what was it, permagoggles through maturity. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really interesting, interesting thing because we we we've got man children, you know, <laughs> all over the place. You know, we we love immaturity. We we we're obsessed with it, and and all mm-hmm. our media seems to, um, and culture seems to want to you know, to keep, to, to keep that going. And, and, um, and there's something, something really impoverished about that. Mm. It all comes down to relationships. I feel it's like we don't have relationships in our financial transactions so much anymore. We don't have the relationships in our living spaces. You know, it's just like, as you said, a, a big house with minimal people in it. Um, on a large block or, you know, tiny blocks these days, cramming it all in, um, or relationships with our ecology around us and, you know, just having monocultures of of grass or, or purchasing and eating monoculture, badly grown food, <laughs> or putting in ornamental plants that actually have yes. a very minimal function to support yes. our needs and... Yeah. Yeah. Like every every part of our the house that we built um, and re- rebuilt in in the eco village is has a story to it. You know, we remember the people that helped us do that. You know, whether it was Ellie from Canada, Can- um, I was going to say from Canada, and you know, um, you know, it it all these stories. You know, Tommy put this in, and you know, like it was it's these it's really rich. You know, we could have paid someone, you know, two hundred thousand dollars, three hundred thousand dollars, whatever to pay it to build this. But it, we, again, this sort of like eight forms of capital, we've missed that experiential capital, and that experience, mm-hmm. that experiential capital is alive for the for the total time that that the building stands. We and people are there. We, we remember who's done that. Um, I love what you said about relationship. You know, like Charles Eisenstein in his book um, Sacred Economics says that banking used to be a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if someone had spare money, they would put it into a bank. And, and get it looked after, and then someone would come come and say, "Look, I some young person would come and say, look, I there's no bakery in this town, and I'm really passionate about baking. I'd love to do this. And do you think you can do that, son? You know, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, you know, here's hundred thousand dollars a try. Yeah, you know, beautiful thing. Like you know, like people that haven't got you know, did that didn't need money, and someone who does money, and it's a bit of an exchange. And and but shareholders really just destroyed that. You know, like now the banks are, are completely there just to to for the shareholders' benefit. 
That's the return profit. Yeah. Yeah. Insurance the same the same way. Like it was a, it was a really lovely socialistic thing. Like if we all put money in, you know, one house burns down, the money goes to that person. Like it's it's really quite a socialist sort of proposition. And and again, but when you as soon as you, as soon as you add shareholders into that sort of mix, then you really get a um, you get a perversion of that of that system. Mm. Yeah, and you mentioned how you, um, with the seeding or the financial seeding for your eco village, you did it with, you know, permaculture economics. I suppose you did it with mm. zero interest. Can you speak to mm. that? Yeah, yeah. Look, we. I'm a you know I'm a business person, and and you know, sent lending my money at 0% interest is just an insane sort of thing. But when you look at, again, look at the eight forms of capital and all, all I'm doing and I'm, and it's not hard baked into our, into our, into our model. If somebody wants to build a village and, and charge interest for that, then that they can, we're, we're trying to show people that, that when you actually, and this is again, a Charles Eisenstein sacred economics thing. If as soon as you introduce the um, interest into a system, you actually introduce the need for growth. And, and, and that's what's messing with our planet right now. Like we've got, you know, we've got this economic model that relies on infinite growth um, and it's a finite planet. I mean, we've another author I really love, uh, Douglas Rushkoff, um, and he, he says he was, at, he was at a AGM of one of the big um, soft drink companies, you know, and I'd imagine it was either Coke or Pepsi. And, and he's the, the CEO got everybody to chant 5.3, 5 5.3, 5.3, because 5 this was their growth target they needed to do, to make, or that they think they needed to make for this next year. And it was like, he goes, you, you're the biggest company in the world doing so much harm to the environment, more, you know, Coke is more plastic bottles than any other company in the world going into the ocean and this sort of thing. And you still need to grow. I mean, what, what is our system on about? I mean, we just don't have this in nature. Mm-hmm. You know, like, like you said, the, the, the big tree doesn't say to the little grass, grow, 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 become like me. You know, without that piece of grass and, the, and his mates and her mates, you know, we, don't, we get erosion and the tree actually could fall down. You know, like, like every part of the ecosystem is really important. So, so you know, we do need, you know, to, to see humanity, you know, in a different way that, that we all got different, different capacities. You know, people with children um, have less capacity um, to do outside work, you know, because they're, they're doing a really, really important job. And when the most important job because of the people that we grow are the people who are going to look after the land afterwards, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's critical that our children are, are balanced and, and, um, you know, and, and fortunately this has been a, you know, after two world wars, we've had two generations of, of men generally um, really damaged and, and, you know, we are learning, you know, we are relearning how to be humans again mm-hmm. and it's taking a long time, but, you know, we have got, there are, there are the shining lights around us. Yeah. Yeah. And yet war, war still continues over resource grab. Um, yeah, I just had this visual of, you know, you're talking about Coca-Cola and this like epic big organisation um, and, you know, it's like when you look at a forest, there's not one big tree that's soaking up all the resources and then providing, mm-hmm. you know, dropping all this product of leaf or oxygen. It's, there's so many trees and there's so many different layers all supporting. It's It comes back to that relationship and symbiotic and, 
you know, if there's a need and a demand and we're providing services and products, it, it makes sense that there would be that, you know, instead of having this, again, monocultural, this one big, strong, resource-heavy thing, if it's spread mm. out amongst many, there's a Yeah, I mean, even the Coca-Cola, even the Coca-Cola tree, you know, it, mm. it wouldn't actually, it wouldn't drop leaves. It wouldn't, you know, yeah. nourish. You know, you know, it would just be taking everything for itself and not giving. And this, this does not happen in nature. Yeah, no, it doesn't happen in nature. I mean, a big fig tree. We've got an enormous fig tree. We call it home tree. If you've seen uh, Avatar, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it, it just gives so much. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it nourishes itself and so many birds and so many little plants and you know and and um, yeah, it's just it's beautiful to watch. It's beautiful to sit under and. You know, this is you know the coca-cola tree doesn't exist because mm-hmm. in nature it only exists you know um you know like like we might like many people know that you know corporations have been given the power of a human mm-hmm. and and you know a human that only exists to make money is a really impoverished human and i've been there i must say as well um you know sometimes sometimes my life it feels like i've just that's been me but you know you you, you can't it's not sustainable because and it's not and it's not a good human you know it, it's not you 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 you, you got there's so much more to being a human than that and and mm. so we can't really we can't really give our corporations the 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 status of a human of a human because they they're certainly not they're extractive you know and you know and and even, you know first nations they're always talk about reciprocation you know, um, reciprocal. You know, they have you know, they have much more relationships are always reciprocal. I suppose that's a, yeah, a good a good word to, to throw in there um, when we're Absolutely. talking relationships. It's embedded in culture. Yeah, reciprocal. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So many interesting things just there. We were in question one. So that's how permaculture <laughs> influence your life. All right. Um, well, let's explore that topic more, but. Firstly, you know, you, you've, um, you've built uh, eco- ecological capital or, you know, you've, you've stewarded and, and caretake this special place of Malani Eco Village. So how do you integrate plants um, and specifically from this herbalism perspective into either your home, your garden or your community? Yeah, yeah, we're we're wild gardeners, and I must even say that we're probably uh, gardening isn't um, our big strong point. Actually, we've had gardeners and, and so forth there, and it's been really interesting to see the difference in the in the gardening styles. And even what I like about um, retro suburbia is is Holmgren is really happy to to see you know the different types of gardening, whether you're wild gardening or more sort of you know more ordered that sort of thing. But you know of course we got the stock standard permaculture hot hit, hot hits like comfrey and pigeon peas and bananas and this sort of stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I guess the I'd like in some ways I'd like to take a step back from that question in some ways and look at a more fundamental question. You know like this land was colonized by Europeans and and I think m- much of the problem is that we have brought our European taste buds with us. And therefore, we're actually asking our land to supply foods that it doesn't simply want to give. Mm. It can't give, you know, because it's we're not Europe. Um, mm. our, our soil are really poor. They compact so easily. Like, you know, we know, like most people know that, the you know, the, the cows and so forth have re- damaged our soils really. You know, we got ancient but very, very poor soils and, um, you know, and, and kangaroos and native animals just simply don't don't destroy the soil like like um, imported stuff does. So, mm. you know, in in thinking about plants, well, you know, like we 
surely natives have got to be one of the top of the list. You know, things that that were here that you know that that like the, we have uh, like there's been pictures and so forth of the of the plants that um, and, and Aboriginals you know ground seed to make flour, but they their plants had and I don't even know what they are. Sorry, I'm I'm not there not there with that. But it's, you know they're six foot deep roots, you know, and and the plants that we do for wheat and so forth have really shallow roots and and they and they don't hold the soil together and this sort of thing. So you know we've really you know what we try to do is grow food that re that the land wants to give us. You know, brassicas like cauliflower and broccoli are really hard to, to grow there, and you can by putting a lot of inputs in. Um, but again, that's not really permaculture. You know, look, looking at minimising our, our uh, minimising sorry our um, our inputs, our human inputs. So, poor poor grows really well for us. It, that that just springs up, but it doesn't ripen up in um, down in down in Maloney. So to, the winter's too cold. So we eat a lot of green poor poor. I mean, it's yeah. really good for your gut, really good for your gut health. Um, we don't. Most people think, oh, pawpaw salad, uh, green pawpaw salad. We don't. We've never done that. We don't do salad much in that sort of form. But um, you know, in stews and, and, and like potatoes, in stir fries, that sort of thing, it's yeah. um, it's great. You know, we we use and avocados grow like weeds there. Macadamia nuts we scavenge from friends. We harvest trees in public spaces and this sort of stuff. You know, eat lots of chocos. You know, like I told my mum, I told my mum we, you know, have a choco and we leave, eat those things. She goes, why would you do that? You know, like that's, that's dunny fruit, you know. <laughs> um, that's what they used to call it back in the, you know, like you'd have choco, choco vine around the, around the outdoor dunny, you know. And, yeah. and but we eat that exactly like we do, the pawpaws, you know, like, like potatoes. Um, and, and what we discovered is also you can eat them raw, like have them like a, like a dip. We make some hummus or even pigeon pea hummus is great. And then eat them raw with it. You know they're better than a, chel- 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 a celery stick. You know mm. because um, celery celery for me is like water and string. I mean, why would you eat that? <laughs> but, but it's actually really nice. You know, like the, having the the chocos is, is is really lovely. So yeah, we have bunya bunyas trees there in Milani. Like every two years, we absolutely feast on bunyas. Um, you know, nine percent protein, two percent fat. They're just a superfood, and they just mm. like just fall from the sky. You know and um, I've made some corn chowder and bunion gnocchi and it's just, we just eat, you know, a bunion mash, we eat a lot. You know, we just, these sort of things, you know, what does the land want to give us? I think it's a really important because, you know, like I guess sometimes we, we ask the question, what do we want to grow? You know, it's 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 it's, it's very, very us-centric, um, mm. you know, and, and that's our culture, very, very individualistic. I mean, one thing I, I love about First Nations culture as well, Aboriginal culture, if they say, if I say my my right leg is sore you know that you would understand that you you know but but if i turn 90 degrees and say my right leg my right leg is sore it doesn't change i'm the center of the universe whereas in in aboriginal culture i'm I'm not sure if it's ubiquitous or not or all over the place or not but um certainly some 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 uh, some mob used to say or they would say my my north leg is sore (laughs) and then they turn and they say my west leg is sore and it's the same leg you know, because they are not the center of the universe. Mm. <laughs> they, they are they are in relationship with the land, and from a you, know, you imagine how, how how that changes your perspective as a child growing up. Instead of saying my you know my my right leg is sore, you know they understand the landscape and where they sit in that landscape so so much better than us. Yeah. Um, and so I guess the question for me, I would rather ask, you know, what 
what is good for the land, what is good for, you know, you know, what, you know, then what do we want out of it? You know, like it's, um, and I'm not, obviously not saying that, that we don't, we, we don't play, any, you know, we plant anything but natives or anything, but, um, but there, it is a good question to ask. Okay. What, it, what does grow well here? Uh, what is native to here? Um, and, and, can we eat that? You know, like can we, we've eaten Madeira vine and patches of Madeira vine is really, really bad weed. It just takes up, takes over a monoculture. Um, again, permaculture principle, no, no monoculture, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I'm, I've definitely got a different relationship with weeds now. Um, yep. I, I, we eat weeds, we, we let weeds grow for pioneer plants and this sort of thing. Um, but the ones that I do give, want to give a hard time is the ones that threaten monocultures. I think, I think any multiculture, whether it's ecological or social, is a bad thing. You know, diversity is always, always a good thing. So, so we've eaten, yeah, we've eaten whole patches of Madeira vine out. Like it's, it's a, it's like a spinach. It's like a little sort of fleshy sort of thing, and it's, it, it's really, really bad for rainforest. But you know. Like if you have it for, for lunch for a couple of times, you know, for for a couple of months, you've you've eaten it out, you've done it, and and um, what a way, what a, what a way to kill, what a way to get rid of um, weeds, you know, and eating the mushrooms that grow up there and everything like that. You know, this this is this is what does the land want to give, and and, and it's so easy to see because they they want, it wants to grow, you know, even um, you know what do they call them farmers friends the uh, cobbler's pegs, they were a very important plant for for, for Aboriginal people. You know, we, we get really annoyed because they cling on to ourselves and that sort of thing, but they are a sign of um, of, of health and, you know, and vitality in that area. And um, we've got a blue billy goat weed, which is actually an, you know, you can drink it as a tea or you can just rub it on your skin and it's actually anti-tick um, um, sort of thing. So, you know, like how, how can we use these things that we normally call weeds? Um, mm. you know, and, and I, look, I know, and I know next to nothing like there's, you know, the first nations people around and there's other people that, you know, and, and people, you know, people that listening to this podcast will, will be able to say, you know, much, much more in this sort of regard, but yeah. And that's great. It's an exciting field. It is. And something I would, yeah, the opportunity to learn about Australian medicine and plants mm. is, you know, like we learn, I feel like there's more, um, books there's more trainings there's more ways to learn about um you know uh the amazon (laughs) the amazonian plants than there is um here and maybe that's just my my ignorance that i you know i do have books but i would love you know the opportunity for more relationship with um you know going out on on country even you know Mm. i'm not I'm not um, a First Nations person, but I, I feel like I relate in many ways. And you know, you can go to, you can go on a on a trip to Brazil or, or Peru or South America, um, and you know, there's probably multiple ones happening right now. And, and go over there and learn um, from coriander's about indigenous about their their plants, but. I think Stephanie Hazel just did a beautiful podcast and the most recent one um, with Sky on animism and um, ayahuasca and, you know, it's culturally I think Westerners are seeking more connection with the plant world and, and spiritual connection to, you know, our environment, but we don't really have a cultural pathway to get there. And people are travelling all the way over there, but for them, it's in context of their local 
and their bioregion. So, you know, how do we do that here? I know Sam Marsh is doing um, some, you know, edible weed walks up in the tablelands and, you know, the elder tree certainly is about putting medicine in the hands of people, but we, we still, like, it's, mm. it's like we, we have so much to learn from First Nations people here. Absolutely. You know, the way they use it for washing soap, the soap, soap, um, soap you know, and the salt, sort of. salt bush and all, all, all sorts of stuff. It's just the med- all the medicine trees, you know. And, and I guess we, in our, in our arrogance, we came to this land and we did not give a crap. We just, just took our knowledge and thought that was superior and, you know, what a height of arrogance, you know, like we just, these people have been living here for thousands and thousands of years and, and didn't, you know, um, didn't really ask, you know, what, what they never ceded sovereignty. <laughs> it was exactly. just taken. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it really, you yeah. know, like when I think of, you know, Europe and all of the big castles and, you know, how ancient the architecture is over there, it's temperate climates and, you know, they, they had these big, you know, how, you know, they lived, they, they built big structures then, but Australian Indigenous First Nations people lived so in harmony with the land here that mm. they haven't left big monolithic kind of <laughs> because we because Uluru exists. Like nature yeah. already has these really yeah. incredible sacred sites. And, yes. um, you know, and I just, yeah, I find it interesting because it's like when you say we, we came here, it's like our ancestors did because we, you and I here and now, we didn't. Yeah. We didn't come here and do that, but there's that acknowledgement that our ancestors did come here for whatever reason, for new hope, for, you know, because they were convicts, for whatever reason. And, yeah. you know, we're a very multicultural country. Lots of people have come, but I think, you know, we there there is no, there's been no treaty. There's no, <laughs> has not been a particular voice where we can sit with our brothers and sisters from First Nations people and, get their perspective it seems like it's been a very top down and of course you can like I can in my local village here um you know I I give lifts to people and core you know in our in my local area because I drive past communities to my place and I feel like living in Coranda has been an opportunity to meet a lot of Indigenous people and have conversations but I know that's not real for everybody and I, I certainly you know like I don't go over the house and hang out with them but I want to learn. Um, I want to learn more. And I think that that, you know, I think that from, I don't know, maybe I live in a bubble, but I feel like people want that. And when you can sit with an, an Indigenous person, they're happy to share. <laughs> like, yeah, they're, yeah. you know, they're proud of their culture. And I think we've got an, a great opportunity coming up to be able to to listen and let them be heard. I was at Laura Dance, uh, Aboriginal Dance Festival, and and one one of the commentators just said, "Look, you know, we don't have the Eiffel Tower, we don't have the London Bridge, but we you've you've got us, you know." Mm. And they were just so proud. Like it's really nice to see that they're just so proud of themselves now, and they can. The, the time one person even said that you know the time for shame is over. We you know we we were made to feel shameful for what we were and what we are who we are, and and yet like that that was their choice. 
to they didn't need to 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 build these things as a as a mm. as a way to to conquer the world and conquer nature. They could actually live with it and 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 you know in the most beautiful way. You know, it's yeah, absolutely. And and there is a lot to learn. Absolutely, a lot to learn. Hmm. Yeah. So let's cruise through this because we've had such a beautiful conversation. We're 45 minutes in. We've got some more to go, um, questions to go. So do you have a particular plant? You mentioned papaya before, um, but do you have a plant that you can recommend as something that is um, a valuable ally in, in a home garden and why? Like what have you worked with that's been a helpful ally in your life? Yeah, like it does does sort of definitely vary in where where I've lived before. I've lived all over Australia, and um, but you know, I actually, I just yeah, you know, and this probably doesn't even apply to your listeners really. But I just say to people, just start with tomato. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I was living in this suburban house. I had this 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 four hundred millimeter deep um, garden next to a fence, sandwiched between the building. Like hardly got any light, and and put some tomato seeds in there, and. In, you know, and and I then I started with the lettuce and so forth, and I, and the, and and the, the science is there. It says like if people have at least something that they're taking from a garden, then they're they're actually healthier. They 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 are more conscious of what they put in their bodies. You know, so so just start small. Like I really think that you know, and tomatoes such as you know, especially cherry tomatoes, are so easy to grow. Um, but you know, these. The, and then things just grow from there. You know, then you'll you'll be seed swapping and you'll be <laughs> you'll be um, you know doing all sorts of sprouting sprouting leeks and all sorts of stuff by the time you know it. But that you know, it's people who haven't started just start just do something. You know, and and um, you can actually grow something in a very very small space. And and um, that's that's that would be my advice. Yeah. Mm. And have you used plants to like tomatoes as a very culinary? Um, mm food and of course like you said and and, and um charlie mcgee spoke a lot about it in our previous podcast about our microbiome and how when we're eating food that's fresh that's grown in our garden or or locally grown by passionate people you know all of the the soil the water the sunlight everything that has has contributed to growing this plant is so much of a higher value than anything that's been transported, yeah. you know, grown in a monoculture, transported to the supermarket. Um, and, yeah. the, and, you know, the varieties that are available of cherry tomatoes alone, like you, you get yes. like ones of every colour and they're, they're not, you know, like they're heirloom varieties. They they have been brought by our ancestors from <laughs> across, the, <laughs> across the sea. So, you know, um, how do we... I guess my question is, what is what's a plant that you've used for your health? Have you got um, like from a herbalism perspective? Hmm. Yeah, like like I sort of said, I think that I would much rather turn to the turn to the um, the, the natives that are there and find what's what what what's there first. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. that's my that's my sort of style is is. Yep. is and that's only fairly recently since we've had this eco village like that sort of it just challenges you um um there's yeah i mean i i've eaten eaten vegan for the last i don't know six or seven years or something and so plants are everything to me like that's all i eat so it's mm. really interesting to see the plants are just 
so amazing, so diverse. I mean, I've come to North Queensland. I've spent three months here. I'm on my way south now, and and there, there's fruit that I've never even heard of that I've yeah. eaten. You know, like we had Rolinia and Abiyu and Durian and Custard Apple, Soursop yeah. and Black Sapoti, Rambutan, Pungium. As you have, have you ever heard of Pungium? It's mm. it, they, they 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 reckon there's only one fruiting plant in Australia, and it's near Cape Trib. It's just a beautiful thing, like mangosteen, noni. These things that I've never even engaged with, and you go to Woolies in that same town, and you've got the same three fruit. Like there's there's a real disconnect. Mm. Oranges, apples, and bananas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like you know, and you know, and and when you come up here and you see, I met lots of people who don't eat sugar because of what sugarcane's done to the to the rainforest here you know where 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 in melania it's about it's all about the dairy like we um i've got a photo overhead photo from 1958 that's 100 years of dairy and it's just decimated it's like a moonscape and that was rainforest you know and the, the you know our choices the things that we eat absolutely have a massive impact on on what we do you know what happened you know they just not magically come from the shops obviously you know and you know, and the thing, and these these beautiful fruits and beautiful things that come from um, that that aren't commercially viable, uh, basically because you can't get them all right all year round, or they they like black sapote is too soft to, to transport. All these sort of things, you know, uh, pomelos, you know, we have yeah, like these sort of things, like they're just yeah, you know, it, it, we've got to move on. We you know we've got to put pressure on Woolies or whatever, but I mean, you know. Yeah, you know, like we don't shop at Woolies anyway for lots of reasons <laughs> down at Mulaney. Um, but um, there's there's got to we've got to we've got to access our food. Yeah, like like I love what you said before about how you know for people that love the land and and even there's, there's even studies I think that that show even if you if you're peeing on the land that the, the the plants act differently and give you give you what you need. You know, and I I, I can't verify that I don't know, but but there's a really interesting um, sort of field of study now. Yeah, yeah, and putting the seed in your mouth and holding it in your mouth mm. before you plant it into the ground. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, it's interesting because what, you know, all of those incredible tropical fruits that I so love the tropics for, um, you know, I've moved and lived in Melbourne and other places around Australia, but I always come back to far north Queensland <laughs> because mm. of the lifestyle and the food but, um, you know, like those are not native plants. They've been brought here from Europe, you know, you know, from around other tropical climates. Um, I did have a Queensland native banana. Yeah, Actually, nice. I yeah, we do. Yeah. We do have these. Yeah. 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 And, you know, like even when I, you know, from the co-op you can get rice that's grown, um, dry land rice that uses very minimal water and is, um, you know, grown in Australia in you know, a biodynamic way. That's, you know, there's, in Dark Emu explains how there's, you know, a heap of um, crops that are way more um, attuned to our Australian climate that, yeah, that we, yeah. and research has been done and, you know, these things are being adopted um, maybe a little bit too slowly, but we'll see. But I think, you know, this, like, the integration, um, I we, we design permaculture landscapes and a lot of the tropical, you know, like these tropical fruits that you talk about, I, I wonder if you've been and you've seen them and picked them from the trees, are they in a monoculture? Are they, like, 
you know, is it a, a acres and acres of just um, mango <laughs> or are you experiencing this in in a food forest where where the land, you know, perhaps it's been that logged or dairy farmed or whatever and it's been degraded and then people have come on with a vision and they've grown a food forest with a diverse mm. range of tropical fruits that, you know, do actually come from different tropical belts. Is that your experience of eating tropical fruits or has it been yeah. a culture? Yeah, no, that's where I, that's actually one of the reasons I came up here actually to experience, you know, we, I lobbed into a community up here and, you know, and you have to get across a crocodile river, the Daintree within a dinghy and it's, it's all pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not a monoculture. It's there, they're, they're just building these, this whole food forest with all these really, really amazing trees. And um, yeah, like it's, it's, um, th- this is, yeah, it's it, monoculture is is really a problem. You know, yeah. I mean, even like like I come from Central West New South Wales. I mean, it's dry, and mm-hmm. and um, further west, drier even, um, they've got cotton farms. You know, like like yeah. this is insane. Like cotton's such yeah. a div- uh, you know intense. Um, We're growing it out west here now too. Yeah, it's so water intensive. You know, like, it's really ridiculous, you know. Whereas hemp and all that, you know, we all we all know this, you know. Yeah. Um, but but um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's yeah. right. We've 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 got a you know, and I come from a you know farming family, you know, and 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 it's hard to, to you know. I, I sort of say to a lot of my cousins and stuff like, you know, can you can you do something different? Like, you know, and I and it's really hard, like, to be a for being a farmer. You they just have to put the put the stuff on the poisons on the food to, to actually make it grow. And, and, you know, you know, economically just really hard, but I mean, it's, it's, it's got to keep chipping away and saying, well, there might be another way. I mean, we know like um, subsistence farming, you know, has one unit of inputs to like 20 units of food, but monoculture cropping, broad acre cropping is actually the opposite. It's 20 units of energy and that most of it's fossil fuels for one output one one unit of output and um you know so it's yeah we've we've i mean this is yeah this is why i went to a plant-based diet actually is just the way that we we do we do farm particularly you know, meat and so forth is just uh i couldn't i couldn't support it yeah um and you know and there's, and there's, no, and there's no perfect life there's no perfect ethical life because you know I'm, I, I grew up in a farming area i know that cropping farmers go out and shoot kangaroos and stuff like that to keep off their crops and this you know this is it's not there's no perfect ethical life but you know we i think we've also got to be happy with what how what our choices are and how you know do the best we can doing the best we can and mm-hmm. and perhaps those you know those farmers people are doing the best they can with what with they've what they got know. and yeah. Hopefully, with new information <laughs> um, mm. and new opportunities for doing things differently, um, is you know people are open to that because yeah, yeah you know <laughs> there are Australian scientists and CSIRO and all of these big organisations that are talking about food, our food cycles, how many food cycles we have left. Um, and yes, I did hear that. Some, someone said that we got we got sixty harvests left before our soils collapse. Yeah, um, I heard that too. I don't know where that source is from, so I should look I, I don't, for it. I don't either. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when people talk about scary. peak oil, it's like the conversation on peak phosphorus. 
you know, because mm. it's being grown in these ways where NPK is the main inputs that they're putting in mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. to grow food for the general public, you know, people who aren't, you know, living in more rural areas that have, you know, more opportunity to grow grow food or, you know, eat from local passionate market gardeners or, you know, whatever the situation. I think cities are very, very um, dependent on these bigger monocultural food production and what happens when, when there's no, no food on the shelves at Woolies? Like, what happens? I mean, they, people say they're only we're seven meals away from a re- revolution. Like, mm. hungry people will do almost anything to get fed and feed their families. You know, and um, it's part of the reason why I started the Eco Village too is to like to to get out of that system. We've only got something like uh, I think it's about 12, 13 days of food in in our system. We've got a just in time system. Um, same with fossil fuels. We're going to go at 30 days of fossil fuels in the system. So, you know, our, our, our way of life sits on a knife edge, particularly in the cities. Mm. You know, and, and this is, this is um, and I was saying this before COVID came along and we had a taste, you know, yeah. and, uh, and what still bamboozled me is that people's first survival instinct was, was to buy toilet paper, you know. <laughs> um, and, and we, we use the toilet paper on stuff. I don't know. I don't know any good toilet re- to- good toilet paper recipes. You know, I just, I just, <laughs> I just don't know how, how you know. We, this is how far we've we've gone away from nature to actually go. This was an important thing, fellas. You know, this was an important. <laughs> yeah, just didn't um, I see a yeah, picture we, of one of one of the um, people in your eco village using a leaf, holding yeah, the toilet but, paper. When, when I should clar- you should clarify that she was she was stroking her cheek. Take back that mental image. She was holding a leaf worse. in her hand, stroking her cheek, proving how soft right. this leaf is. Got that clear? Yes, we that's right. We we grow our own toilet paper, you know. Like, um, <laughs> and that took me a couple of years to get to sort of like do and get used to, and and now it's just it's great, you know. Like, why why would we? You know, we why would we get this stuff that's manufactured? You know, usually overseas, and um, you know, and we can use these amazing big leaves, and they're soft. So yeah, much, so. so much embedded energy into the production exactly. of these we, things before it's even transported. What leaf is it? A wild tobacco leaf, so oh, wild tobacco, tobacco tree. Yeah, okay, so it's cool. a it's a weed, but um, it's a good pioneer species. Grows really quick, gives you over story. So then then you can start the, the other sort of. Um, fast-growing natives can come up like bleeding hearts and well, black wattles and that sort of stuff. So you just need that. You know, you can't build a forest from from bare dirt. You gotta gotta have this yeah. overstory for yeah. Start with the plants in succession and mm. get that microbial yeah. action happening exactly. in the ground covered. Yeah. Oh, Especially amazing. in these tropical, subtropical areas because you, you know we you can't control weeds. You know, like you can do a little bit, but it's just um, you need to shade them out and create, you know, like create the forests and so forth to, so that weeds don't happen, you know, that yeah, create the food forest. Syntropic, we got syntropic gardening there as well. and yeah. yeah. Yeah, incredible. All right. Well, Andrew, what's alive and thriving in your life right now? Because you've left your eco village. You've been traveling up here. Like what's, hmm. what's happening for you? Well, it's a lot happening for me personally, I suppose, but um you know, and, and um, like I said, I'm always welcome back there. Like I've created a huge amount of social capital down there, so I can always come back and I might circle back there one day. Who knows? But at the moment, really happy traveling and, and you know, and, and I'm just traveling in a really different way. I'm, 
people say, oh, go and see this waterfall, that waterfall, you know, like it's a waterfall, you know, and whereas when I meet people like you and others, you know, there's just, there's, there's a richness that you can just plumb so, you know, so much more than a waterfall, you know, and I love, and I love waterfalls, of course, but, but, the, it, you know, I, re- I realise for me, it's actually about the, for me, it's, I, you know, this is my best, this is my best life, travelling, meeting people, getting deep with them, you know, teaching, learning, this sort of stuff. So that's that's a really beautiful thing. I think for me also, like, I've really started thinking about what I put in my mouth, what I – but but what – I guess I see in the movement, you know, in the herbalism movement and so forth that there are people that would go down to the health food shop and spend 70 bucks on these exotic things and, and yet actually not – really deal with the really the the trauma the the pain of their emotional life and i sometimes wonder you know if we haven't actually really you know put a band-aid on on a gangrene gangrenous leg is it gangrenous leg you know and um of course what happens you know i'm not trying to not not trying to say either or but but sometimes I, i see this i think i see i see this and i've done it myself is that you want this quick fix and if it's got something with a plant or even plant medicine you know like you know, if someone's had a hundred goes at plant medicine, you know, is that is that a is that really journeying or is it really something else? You know, is it is it is it really are we really dealing with the deep emotional traumatic, you know, trauma? I mean, there's so many. I, I I've done counselling as a per, you know as a as a as a profession, and there is so many people traumatised, obviously, by sexual abuse and patriarchy and capitalism, even like you know, and um, these stresses and pressures overwhelm us and. And without the deep emotional work, you know, I think what we put out in our mouth is is less important. You know, I mean, it's all important. But you know, you, you hear what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, even our, even our obsessions with pets, like like yeah, pets are good for our mental health. But we spend Australians spend more money on pets than we do our own healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 of course they're good for their mental health. But surely humans are built for primary connection to be with other humans you know and that's what i was trying to do at the eco village as well is that we you know we don't have dogs and cats there and i don't and i love dogs and cats but but you know which you know we're trying to build this connection deep connection with other humans because that's sort of who we are that's what we're built for and i and i and i and i don't yeah i guess what's life for me is, is that is that sort of um, that shortcut, I don't know, spiritual bypassing, all that, those sort of bypassing sort of methods to just because it's really hard being, it's really hard to to go through that emotional trauma and the and the difficult stuff that's happened to us and and yet in my experience we just have to you know it's when I was doing grief trauma I, I said it's you know the, the old um, um, the old nursery rhyme you know come going on a bear hunt you know come to a forest can't go can't go over it can't go around it got to go through it i mean that for me is grief grief counseling we just we've got to do the hard yards and go through it and and i hope with at any you know that, that as we evolve and we learn more about plants and 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 more more about earth and 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 soil soil health and microbiome and mycorrhizal networks and fungi and you know we also learn about ourselves and our traumas and you know and to be able to connect with people you know you know uh, a healthy way is just the best life possible that's where yeah. i'm at i think yeah i hear you and i um I'm, I'm hearing from your experience of 
you know, pioneering, I suppose, or if if the word is seeding uh, eco-village and then, you know, collaborating with people to to have a successful eco-village. And so you've witnessed people, you know, eating healthy and eating from the land and and see that and, and using plants for medicine. But what you've what you've gained from that um, experience in the you know the social realm of of being in close communal living with people is that all of these things are one aspect. But if the fundamental emotional um, and trauma aspects of of each person, um, if that's not supported, so you're saying like the social and the relationship relationship realm is um is something that like relationships is a way to help people through their trauma through your yeah in a relationship we hurt in relationship we heal you know and and but um you know like we know from you know again science is out there saying that 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 connection human connection human connection Mm. is actually the most the biggest factor in long life and happy and healthy, you know, life. Like, like it's if you're a heavy smoker and a drinker. I mean, that's that's traditionally, you know, seen as a really bad thing for your health. That's actually not as bad as health factor as if you are alone, if you socially mm. isolate. You know, mm. and so this this connection. I mean, we I, we started the project by saying it's it's got to be connect, you know, connection with self, connection with others, connection with the earth connection with the divine if that's your thing you know like like i was so excited to be at the eco village to learn more building techniques and learn more gardening and learn syntropics and more permaculture i was so excited and i and i you know to my shame i missed this a bit you know at the start that actually working together is the work the other stuff's peripheral you know it's actually if you know in in yeah if we don't work if we don't learn how to work together we we might be we might be in real trouble, you know. So, we're, yeah, getting getting on together, but you know, but for me, it's a it's a very holistic thing. It's you know, it's 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 like getting on with self. I mean, so many people, and it's really obvious when people come to our eco village and live with us when they hate themselves. You know, like mm. this is it, it's really obvious and it's sad. You know, and some of the saddest things I've ever I've I've seen some really sad things. You know, I've been I've presided over over funerals of babies and children and you know i've seen some really sad things in my life but i actually want to think one of the saddest things i've ever seen is a 90 year old on their deathbed talking about their sexual abuse you know and when they were when they were 12 or something you know this is they could have had 20 or i sorry you know 70 or 20 good years you know mm-hmm. um and and that, that but they they stuck you know and, and i said i mean i look my, my my mother was a health health food nut, you know. We, we had a daily dose of cod liver oil, and I hated mm-hmm. it. I was always different at school because I always having all these things, you know, to eat and medicine, medicines, and you know, and um, you know, and 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 yet um, we weren't really taught about this sort of so, this deep psychological and interpersonal work, you know, this emotional this, intelligence emotional exactly exactly you know and or non-violent uh, communication yeah well like that's i'd love that's another i'd love i love mbc and you know it's it's really beautiful to be able to to be able to actually live it in a really special way that with people other people who want to live it as well yeah. um it's beautiful yeah i mean that's that's probably the best thing about being in the communities for me was just my being able to live my values 
You know, like you, you, I see that everywhere I go, in, whether it's in a box in the suburbs, in the you know, in the in the in a city or somewhere, wherever, you see, it's really hard to live your values. Um, and and this is the closest I've got, ever got, which was which was great. So, so you know, if any of you listeners um, uh, want to create a small community and maybe Australia's first herbalism community, then come and talk to me. That's what we do. That's our jam. Um, we have a, a, a model, a financial model, um, an economic model that you that 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 you can use to start own, your own communities, and you can do that really quickly too, with our hack, with the Eva hack, the Eco Villages Australia hack. Um, mm. But that's you, know, you can go on the website um, for that and um, www.ecovillages.au. So I'm committed to doing that. I don't get paid for that. I just love what I do and um, building community is my jam and that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life to do, you know, um, committed to doing and, um, and I get to meet people, wonderful people like you, Neil. Yeah, it's really it's such a pleasure. I had a few different people say, oh, this guy's in town, you have to meet him. So it all aligned really well and, yeah, we kind of met over the Eco Villages um card set for designing regenerative yeah. <laughs> communities. Well, I was really, really happy to see you. I think it piqued some interest for a few people there. And what I loved about learning, you know, listening into your forum was that you have this model that you just mentioned. However, it's it seemed quite flexible. So hmm. even though you're sharing, you know, your successes and your failures and and why you set up the model you, the way you did and how it's really, you know, there's a lot of permaculture principles embedded in it, especially that economic permaculture and, mm-hmm. you know, creating a new system in, in ways because it's like against the, well, not against, but it's it's different to how normal housing and other eco-villages have worked. And you said, you said 90% of eco-villages follow, but like 90% of businesses do. Um, mm. So it was, I, I found a lot of um, value in, and I'm, I'm still processing, um, you know, the things that you said. So I'll, I'll definitely I'll sit down and, and have a look through your website. But I think it's amazing that you are so open to sharing and, and giving your time to help people. And, you know, there's that principle of slow and small solutions. And I see that, you know, you're not going huge. It's like five to 15 people and working with the land and what's actually how it can be a reciprocal um, relations based experience and the onus or the focus on building all of those different forms of capital social being you know a a big part of it but experiential like all of the learnings of how to live in an eco village and the cultural um, forming that happens through that and I think it's a really good demonstration and uh, it's been a pleasure meeting you. I, I have enjoyed this talk. We've gone over an hour now, so it's really rich. Um, thank you so much for your time. Is there anything that you wanted to share with our listeners before we say goodbye today? Look, I I think I think it's on the front page of our website, actually. It's a little thing I just coined. It's not brilliant, but, you know, for me, it's like design always wins, you know, so whatever we design into our life, how we design our, our living spaces. Um, you know, the reason that most houses don't live work as a share housing is because it's not designed for that. It's designed for mum, dad, two kids and a dog, you know, and and the way we design our gardens, you know, permaculture principles and stuff, the way, the way we design our governments and our and our, and our um, structures and our you know, institutions, it, it always wins. And 
Um, and so we need to, we need the best design we can, you know, and Conscious so I, yeah, absolutely. You know, and human centered design, you know, like, like our, our towns are, and cities are built for cars. That's not, that's not human centered. Like, like we live in a, you know, our, our design is co-housing. So cars go to the edges, you know, you, you, you leave the cars on the edges of those buildings and, and, and all, everything in the middle is all human scale. It's all walking and maybe bike, bike, bike riding, but that's it, you know, and it's just a very different feel. It's a beautiful yeah. feeling. Yeah, or mm. nature-centric design. So exactly. it's, yes. you yeah. know, it's yes. us, it's the plants, it's the animals, and it's yes. the, the energetic flows of all of the natural resources and, and yeah. how we are one part of that. And, yeah, well, so much food for thought for all of us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Danielle. The Elder Tree is a not-for-profit organisation that is in the beginning stages of creating a grassroots herbal education centre and healing sanctuary in the Atherton Tablelands of Arnold, Queensland. To find out more, go to theeldertree.org and follow the journey on Instagram and Facebook. You can also donate to The Elder Tree via our podcast channel on Anchor or via the website. If you liked the episode, we'd love you to subscribe. And if you know who we should interview next, drop us a line. See you next month. And in the meantime, may you grow them to know them and be blessed with good health and many plants.